Welcome to Glitch Cube, we're a gaming podcast, and each week we take a deeper look into the art of video games. I'm Christian. I'm Chris. And welcome back to another exciting episode, you guys. And before we kick things off here, I just want to say thank you so much to the community out there because we've been seeing such like expansive growth lately, and it's mm-hmm. just been so exciting to see, and that's all thanks to you guys. So thank you again. We love you so much, and just keep passing the word along and let's build this community up together all right so before we get into today's topic which is an extension of the other two episodes that we have going on right now and it is in the whole umbrella encompassing genre of game mechanics i want to do what we normally do and throw out some joyous plugs into the world to celebrate some stuff that we've been enjoying over the past week so what do you have for us chris Kind of two things. I'm playing through Grandia 2 right now, mm-hmm. which I'm really enjoying. It's a big change from the original Grandia. It's more dark. The main character's kind of an ass, which is making me enjoy it because it's like that early 2000s edgelord kind of <laughs> angsty <laughs> attitude. And I'm like loving it for some reason. But uh, it's really fun. But I like it because it's on my Switch. And I've been getting really into just playing my Switch and watching TV. Mm-hmm. So I finally have been finding time to watch some animes I've been trying to catch up on. Nice. Finally finished Demon Slayer yesterday. Hell yeah. Which, you know, for me in the beginning, I didn't get into it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, I'll just keep watching. Maybe I'll get into it. And then slowly it started picking up. And then like the last few episodes of the season, I was like, this is really cool. Like yeah. it, I'm excited to see like next season. Right. And that new game coming out too. That looks really good. So yeah. I'm excited. It for literally looks like the anime almost like it's. Yeah. They did a pretty. great job for it and it's coming out in October and I'm super stoked on it. I'm already getting like notifications in my Instagram feed to pre-order now. <laughs> mm. I'm just like, ah, do I do it now or do I just wait? And they're like, oh, you can get an exclusive costume. I'm like, uh. <laughs> ooh, but those no. costumes, man. That's uh, how they get you. Yeah, I know, right? All the aesthetics. I'll just wait, though. I'll wait for the pre-order. I don't like pre-ordering things. <laughs> yeah, that's the smart thing to do. Yeah. But uh, I really liked it. It was cool. It kind of surprised me, I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, now I'm kind of sitting there, like, juggling which ones do I want to watch now. So I'm, like, looking at One Punch Man, the season two. Which, season two is not as good, but it's it still has, it's still fun though. That's what I've heard. So I like I saw the first episode and the first episode was funny. So I was like, oh, this is okay. But then I just was like switching through. I'm like, do I want to finish Ergo Proxy? Or mm. a lot of people tell me about um, Rise or Arc of the Shield Hero or something. Oh yeah, yeah. and like I go on like anime watch list or whatever that that website is called and that's like one of the top like five most like popular ones so maybe i'll give that one a shot just because people seem to like it and something different someone's on my list i haven't checked it out yet but ergo proxy is amazing yeah i'm really liking it it's my style yeah it's only one season so i would suggest finishing that one up yeah i might just plug through that yeah but uh, what have you been up to? Oh, you know, just getting lost in Bravely Default. <laughs> nice. So I I am on 
day, what is this, day nine of not being at work, which is amazing. It's amazing. But I mean, for the reasons unfortunate of being injured. (laughs) So I can't really do much. I haven't been able to work out, which is actually bugging me now. Uh, Like last night, my fiance came home from a workout. And as soon as she got home, I'm like, oh, what, what, what movements did you guys do? What would you do? Was there anything different? Like, how mm. was it? Like, trying to live vicariously through her. <laughs> and I'm realizing how much I really want to just work out right now. And it's kind of crazy. Because while I was doing it steady, there was so many days where I'm like, I don't want to do this shit. Like, I'm just too tired. But now, even when I'm tired, I'm like, I want to go do something. So, getting a little stir crazy. But yeah, Bravely Default 2 has been keeping me company. That's for sure. And... I started playing, I bought this game right when it came out. I started playing it. I got through the prologue and then I just kind of stopped playing it. Um, hmm. It was a little slow to start with, but now that I've put in more hours into it and I'm finishing up chapter two now, I absolutely love this game. It's so much fun. It's very fast paced. The story is very well written and everything is voice acted actually. And even some of the side quests are voice acted too. which is really cool um and then the like just the amount that you can customize your characters using these job classes is insane to me it's bringing back these happy memories of final fantasy V and that whole job system there because that was one of my favorites and i think that this game might be a contender for my favorite job classes in a game Uh, There's just so many different options for you to choose from, and every single one is good. Um, There isn't one that's like drastically horrible where you're just never going to pick it. There's a reason to pick every class and kind of go through and play through them. And one nice thing that they did for this game is everyone's base stats are exactly the same. So you don't have one character that just happens to be more geared towards the healer or whatever it may be or an attacker. You can make anyone do anything, which is really nice because I'm getting kind of tired of the same trope of, you know, like, oh, the female in the group is going to be my healer. Well, actually, I ended up making the females in my group like my main base attack people (laughs) just because it ended up working out that way when I was leveling up class systems at that time. They had maxed out their classes, so I needed something new to pick. And the next one that I wanted to work on, I wanted an ability from one of the attacker classes. And now they're just using that one. And one thing, too, that's really interesting is in most Final Fantasy games, magic is king, right? You, you have a black mage in your group. You can pretty much just take care of anything in the part, like that you're dealing with. But mm-hmm. in this game, magic is very balanced, where hmm. it's not better than just base attacking sometimes. Sometimes it's actually way worse than doing any sort of attacks. So it, you really need to find that nice balance between your characters and just play around with things until you find something that works for you. So it's just been really, really fun to play with. And especially after our last episode on level mecha- or leveling up and whatnot, that... It's been really fun to go back and play something like this, where it's just very like leveling focused, and there's just a lot of different like uh, abilities to boost and move around and play with. So it's been fun. I do have a question about it because I've only played the demo, mm-hmm. like the original one, and uh, something that didn't really bug me but annoyed me. Maybe 
I wasn't thinking about actually like being strategic with the battle system, but is it difficult? It is. It is a challenging game. Not going to lie. It's I remember playing the demo and just being beaten by everything. Mm-hmm. So I think what it is, is it has such a different kind of battle system that I wasn't used to. And then now that you have the Brave system in Sidtool, and the Brave system, what it is, is it allows you to perform multiple actions per turn with that one character. Now, what it does is it makes it so that you have to inc- or you have to raise your Brave back up to baseline zero before you can perform any actions again. So let's say you do four different actions in one turn. Now you have to wait three turns in order to actually do anything. So you got to really like balance it out and think about it. Like if you are at that point where it's like, okay, if I unload now, then I'm going to be able to take out whatever I'm dealing with. So it might as well unload, right? So that's Mm -hmm. whenever it kind of comes in handy. Or if you're in a pinch and you really need to heal up your characters and one cure isn't going to do it, you have the ability to do multiple ones, right? So you can kind of like strategize that a little bit and you can mix up what you're doing. So a lot of the times I'll have like my, let's say my black mage, I throw out two high level spells and then I notice that I run out of MP after those two, but I want to do another one. You can actually do two spells take an ether and then do another spell all in the same turn. Damn. Yeah. So it's, it's really cool. It, it, to say it's easy would be a lie. It is a very challenging game and a lot of the bosses get really difficult really fast. And even just the enemies on the map can end up one shotting you at any point in time. But I think that just adds to the fun of it now, at least because before it was like, this sucks. It's too hard, <laughs> but now it just makes it more interesting. Hmm. Might have to keep my eye on it then. So today we're going to be expanding on our game mechanics discussion that we've been having so far this month. This is going to be the third installment into this uh, little endeavor, this little excursion we have going on. Um, And today we are going to be talking about the bane of every player's existence out there in the world. And that is RNG or the random number generator, or RNGesus, if you are one of those people that likes to call it that. <laughs> so <laughs> which, when I saw that, I just couldn't help but laugh because it's too true. But <laughs> RNG is one of those things that can, when it works in your favor, you absolutely love it. And whenever it ends up hurting you, you think the game is rigged. <laughs> There's really no two ways about it. But it's all just purely random, man. Like you just... You have to accept it. And one of the big areas in which, or at least the area in which random numbers kind of came from was from tabletop originally. But before we go into a little bit more on random numbers and what mechanics can use that system and all that fun stuff, uh, how do you feel about randomness in games in general? For a long time, I really liked it. Like I'm thinking about like random battles um, where you don't see the enemy. Mm-hmm. And I used to like them because it felt like it forced me to level up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, okay, well, I'm kind of forced into this. And I almost, I don't, I could probably count like on my hands and toes, like how many times I've actually run from a battle. I always usually just finish my battles. So yeah. 
it's I liked them, but nowadays, like with more modern RPGs, we're seeing more where the enemies on the map. And I've been really enjoying that style more mm-hmm. because I feel like I have a little more control. It's not so random in the sense of like it could mess you up or annoying. It's it it takes away some of that like unnecessary grind or challenge. Mm-hmm. Um but with other like mechanics with like random possibilities, I I enjoy it. I always like that thrill of like, is this choice gonna screw me over due to like a dice roll or something like that? You know, you look at Disco Elysium where you have your like your rolls for your choices and it's like, is this gonna screw me over or not? And I really like that system now. Yeah. Same. I mean you need a bit of randomness in a game in order to make it interesting. If you already knew what was going to happen after every single action performed, then games would just become too predictable and too boring after a while, right? Yeah. So when we're talking about randomness in games, there's actually two different styles of randomness that can be used for players to enjoy, right? Or hate, depending on how you feel about (laughs) what you get, right? So there's input randomness, which is actually something that occurs before the player makes a decision or sometimes known as pre-luck randomness. And then there is output randomness, also known as post-luck randomness. Um, and that's whenever the player makes a choice and then luck takes over, right? And to give a little bit more of an understanding on those two topics real quick. So for input randomness, that would be something like a procedural generation in a roguelike game, Right. So Mm -hmm. whenever you start up a run, the map will be completely generated for you, but it's generated each run. So there are times in which you might get really, really lucky with what you get. You might be able to get a rare item in the very beginning or a rare artifact or whatever it may be. And then you're able to just kind of like cruise through the rest of the playthrough and just sets you off right. Or you might get unlucky where you just have really shitty draws in the beginning And then you just kind of have to like muscle your way through these things, right? Um, input randomness is definitely one that's used a lot in uh, in like Dungeons and Dragons and things like that, right? So like let's say you get into an encounter and before you can kind of start thinking about what you want to do, you have to roll for initiative, right? So you roll the dice to see what turn order you're getting and now you know what in which order you're going to be able to fight the enemy and all that. Um, unfortunately, you wouldn't know what turn the enemies are going to go in because all that stuff is hidden from the players. But it is a type of input randomness, right? Mm-hmm. Now, output randomness is one, like, I think the best way to think about output randomness or something that happens after you perform an action would be declaring an attack on an enemy, right? Right. So if you declare an attack on the enemy, there are basically three different options that can happen from it. It's either you hit, you miss, or you get a critical, right? So basically what would happen is I declare my attack, and then the computers in the background would go through and do pull all the random numbers to see if I actually hit and whatnot, and then the outcome occurs from there. And then after that happens, then you can kind of continue on with your strategy and figure out what's going on after that. So those are the basics behind the two types of randomness that can be used in games. Now, how they're used in games is very interesting, right? Uh, You mentioned random encounters in games, which is a really 
good example of randomness being used. And the way that's actually set up, it's um, every time a player takes a step or moves, uh, what it will, if you don't see the enemy on the map, uh, it actually basically has a number picker in the background. And if the number picked falls within a certain range, then an, a battle ensues, right? And that's just kind of how it works. You see it with Pokemon, with all that. And you can actually see the step counter too if like, you go to the Safari Zone, right? You have a certain amount of steps before you're kicked out. And so you can kind of see the way that system works a little bit more um, huh. through that. Yeah. That's interesting. I remember as a kid, I don't know why I thought this would work, but I used to think like in order to prevent random battles from happening so much, like every couple of steps, I'll open up the menu mm. and then close it and it, then keep walking. That might work for some of those older games because they might be pulling a new seed every time mm. you come back to the map after opening the menu. So that's very possible. Um, the way that the random numbers work, usually to keep it even more random, is they'll have a random number picked based off of a seed, which basically would be like, a number multiplied by the seed number gives you your random number. And if that number yeah. is hit within this number table, then, it, you know, action occurs, right? So maybe every time you went back into the map, it would actually change your seed and give you the illusion of getting a better option, um, which huh. is possible. Uh, I just don't know how the coding works on that one. Uh, I haven't looked into that. So, <laughs> but That's it is kind of cool, though. Yeah, it's it's a fun little system that, works out in very interesting ways and it just gives you so many like strange outcomes and really throws you for a loop and that's what i love about it so much like if you look at a game of chess right you know what kind of moves can be done but you don't know what moves your player is going to do right mm -hmm. so in your head you have this crazy strategy of like 15 different moves thinking ahead doing all that and then they do the one that you don't think about and then now you have you're forced to like think about all these other different potential outcomes after that so it's just it's really interesting to kind of think about it and dive deeper into it yeah i never really looked into like the actual mechanics of it but that like talking about the seed and how it's all like like the numbers keep going that's really cool mm-hmm so another way that randomness works well in games is it actually works to drive drama um, within games and it makes them more exciting, right? So think about, like, let's say the game Pandemic, right? So Pandemic is a board game, right? So we are talking about video games a lot here, but randomness can be used in board games as well, and it is a lot in order to create interesting outcomes so you're not playing the same game twice, right? Because otherwise mm -hmm. you would just know what's going to happen on turn 10, whatnot. When you start out a game of Pandemic, well, for those who don't know what Pandemic is, it's a, actually, it's kind of a good one to learn now. It's probably gained a lot of popularity after 2020. But <laughs> basically, you are a team of science, or <laughs> sciencers, <laughs> of scientists and researchers and engineers and all that. And you're trying to stop a global epidemic, right? And there, every turn that you start, you want to draw from the event card pile. And in the event card pile, there are actually four different epidemic cards. 
And those epidemic cards will then basically, if there's any cities that are infected, that infection spreads to the ones next to them, right? So it just kind of keeps spreading and making it a little bit more difficult. Um, if you hit the fourth uh, epidemic card, then I believe it, it's a game over and you don't win before getting a vaccine, right? Yeah. So the way that it set it up so that you don't have a game that just ends in four turns, because really what you're doing is you're shuffling all those cards together to create what you're going to encounter, right? So what you do is you actually split the deck up into four equal piles, and then you add an epidemic card into each pile, shuffle those, and then you shuffle those four piles together. So it helps distribute it a little bit more and makes it so that at worst, you would get two epidemic cards in a row instead of getting all four and automatically losing the game. So it gives you a little bit of cushion room between each one. So your players are able to then come up with some sort of strategy, at least. Give it a little hmm. bit more, something of interest, right? Yeah. How about, um, speaking of like random, what about like Oregon Trail? You know how like randomly you can get hit with like the sentry or like... Dysentery. You know, it's <laughs> dysentery. Yes, yeah, sorry. Dysentery. <laughs> I like the word dysentery better. Sounds you can't cool. come in. <laughs> <laughs> but like, how bad game had so many like random things thrown at you. You know, it just it felt like it wasn't like planned. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like that's like a different way of looking at random, though. Yeah, no, it is a hundred percent. Like it's it creates that drama of the story. You don't know what you're going to run into, which gives those games longevity in life, right? If games didn't have randomness in them, then they would just become very mundane and boring after a while, and you wouldn't. The replay factor would be gone, right? I think yep. that's what's so great about roguelites is the fact that the runs are quick. So the fact that things change up so much between runs, it, it makes it so that you're able to continue playing them over and over again and still get a sense of enjoyment from them. Right. I, mm-hmm. I know you're the roguelite guy. You play way more than I do. So what what's your take on the randomness within roguelites? You know, it's interesting because with how many roguelikes are out there, I feel like they're almost always balanced just right. You know, like, yeah, you could get a run where just you get crappy like weapon or item and then it's just you get like the worst boss starting. Right. Mm-hmm. But. Like that only happens like maybe once or twice out of 10 times, you know, it's I can think like you're almost always gonna have a either a decent start or a decent end and i feel like maybe that's why i like them so much because the randomness just it's almost like a reward system and it just kind of works mm-hmm. but i love it because i mean it makes something different every time like it when you think about random mechanics like they're the perfect kind of game to go to right yeah, no, it's definitely, I mean, like we said, it's a lot more fun to play these kind of games just because it gives you a sense of enjoyment while you're playing them. And for all of those people like us who don't have a lot of time to play these games, games like roguelites that have shorter run times are much more interesting. And every time Slay you, the Spire. Slay the Spire is great, right? Like every time you play it, you get something new out of it, but you can do a run in like 20 minutes, right? So even losing 
even if you lose, you still find a way to enjoy it because the next time you play through, you don't know exactly what you're going to run into, right? Yeah. And with that too, like Slay Aspire, it's not only like random, like map layout, all of that, but also with the draw of the cards, you know, it's almost like a double factor of randomness, which mm-hmm. is really fun. Yeah. And the great thing about Slay the Spire is that has the, the pre-luck mechanic built into it and very heavily. So before you take an action, you get your cards and you see the enemy and they actually added in afterwards uh, the what you're or what the enemy is going to do. Right. So when that game was originally conceptualized and made, that wasn't included. That the whole hmm. like, oh, the enemy is going to attack four six or whatever. Right. That wasn't in there. Um, so you never knew what the enemy was actually going to do. So basically you had to make a strategy like kind of blind, right? Just how yeah. do how do I kill the enemy as fast as possible? And they added that in later to give players more information to kind of con- or make their strategies more sound, which is a kind of an interesting way of doing it. Because if you just have to play by if you just have to play based on the cards that are in your hand, it's going to make it a lot more difficult to create a sound strategy, and it might not be as fun. Hey, everybody, just jumping in real quick. Uh, you know, just want to say, first of all, thank you for continuing listening, and obviously you're enjoying it because you've reached the middle of our episode. Uh, but before we continue on, uh, we just wanted to remind you all that if you are truly enjoying what you're hearing and you want to learn some more about us, Uh, You can find us on uh, social medias and we have links in our description and you can find me and all the drawings that I'm doing on Instagram at Kieran and that's K-E-U-R-A-N. What about you, Chris? Uh, You can find me at Sloppy Cube on Instagram. That's Sloppy and Cube at the end of it. I do all retro games or just games in general. So if that's your thing, check me out. You can also message me about ideas and anything because i love talking yep we both really enjoy talking obviously because we are recording a podcast so <laughs> if, if you want to join in the conversation please reach out to us on the discord and let's get right back into this episode <laughs> Uh, another game that actually does that very well, uh, where it gives the player a huge spike in information, and the way they deliver the information is really interesting, is uh, Into the Breach. Hmm. So Into the Breach is a uh, tile-based uh, like strategy game where you're fighting these big old like aliens and you're in mechs, right? It's, it's really cool. Pixel art, beautiful game. It's on the Always wanted to play it. It's on, the, it's on the Switch, it's on Steam. It's really fun game. But what the designers did, and they actually were interviewed about this, was uh, they were interviewed or they talked about the pace in which they fed information to the player. Right. So whenever you first hop into a map, you have you see the enemies on the map and you actually see what they're going to do. So you can create a sound strategy just like you would in Slay the Spire. Right. But Mm -hmm. then after a few turns, what it does is it dumps even more information on you by adding new enemies to the map or something new to interact with. And then it lets you play around in that space for a little bit more before feeding you more information and then you play, right? So the way they they did it was so that 
it's not just a huge dump of all the information at once. So it's not like, okay, how the fuck am I supposed to deal with all of this, right? It's fed to you little by little so that you can create sound strategies for that situation. And then once you get comfortable or like once you reach a point where like you feel like your strategy is going good and you're still progressing through the level, then they do another information dump by adding in the new enemies. So now you have to kind of re-strategize, think about it, your next steps there. You go through those actions and then it does another information dump. So it's it's actually a nice way of giving the player info without being or without it overloading the system and making it just too much to deal with. And kind of like being spoon-fed like new things, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Exactly. It's just a nice way of doing it so it's not overwhelming, right? It, mm-hmm. It's so easy to get overwhelmed in some of these like strategy games, like uh, even Final Fantasy Tactics that can feel a little overwhelming at times, right? Where there's just so much going on and there's so many different systems that you can play around with, with like leveling up your characters and fighting and dealing with the terrain. It's just a lot. So what's nice about Into the Breach is that the maps are really small. There's not a whole lot of enemies on the map. And you can see what they're going to do. So basically, you're playing chess. And then you perform your actions, and then they spoon-feed you a little bit more to continue playing chess with. So, Speaking of uh, nice ways of doing it, let's talk about one that's more irritating, right? All right. What about XCOM? What with the whole 99%? XCOM? Ugh. <laughs> okay. Hmm? <laughs> so... XCOM is incredibly frustrating for players, right? Now, what XCOM does with its attack systems is it'll actually have percentages. uh, Like, let's say you want to shoot an enemy, right? And they're just wide out in the open. It might say you have like a 90% chance of hitting the enemy, right? And Mm -hmm. you as the player, you look at 90% and you're like, oh, cool, I'm going to hit. Well, you might not. There's still that 10%, right, that says you're not going to. And there are so many memes and so many, like, posts, negative posts about this game where it's, like, 99% chance to hit and I still miss? This is bullshit. Well, it's like, well, <laughs> that's random numbers for you. You still had that 1% chance to miss, right? So yeah. I-, I know how frustrating that can get. And, I, you know, I get it. It it sucks sometimes because you beef up these characters, you feel like you have a good layout, and then the random number generator hits you and you just get screwed in the long run, right? So wh- what? <laughs> how do you feel about it? Because I know how I feel about it. I mean, it's definitely pissed me off. and But, you know, thinking about it, it kind of adds a sense of realism because even if you think for sure that you have a shot on someone, right? Like, mm-hmm. let's say in, in real, right? A sniper from far away. I mean, you would hope they'd be trained enough where they can just hit their target, but there's always that, like, small percentage that they could still miss because the wind yep. or a character move. So, I mean, that 1%, even though it is bullshit, <laughs> it, it still seems like, oh, they could still miss. Right. Now, getting a 99% chance when you're literally the tile next to the person and say you have a shotgun and you miss that's messed up yeah 
I mean, so that right there is randomness bias, which is something that we all fall under, right? We all succumb to this, where it's just easy to get really pissed off and annoyed by those stats. And Mm -hmm. that's why a lot of games actually hide those numbers. So for a lot of games, like if you look at JRPGs, whenever you say attack an enemy, right, you don't see your percentage chance of hitting the enemy. But sometimes you miss and that happens. But it's not as frustrating when you miss as it is in XCOM when it tells you you have a 90% chance of hitting, right? Like that's yeah. that's whenever it gets super frustrating. And a lot of game studios actually take this into account. They take the bias into account now. So, for example, let's say you take uh, the new Fire Emblem games, right? So whenever it says you have... Like that game also puts up percentages of hitting and uh, like doing damage and whatnot, right? While you're attacking enemies. So what it actually does is it will skew those numbers in the background to match the player's bias, which is kind of interesting. So mm. like, let's say you see 90% on there for an attack, right? Now in XCOM, that's a true 90%. There's still a 10% chance that you are going to miss. And that is a very likely thing, right? But in like a game like Fire Emblem, when it shows 90% chance of hit, it actually is somewhere closer to 99% in the background to match the bias of the players. That's weird. Yeah, it seems kind of like a weird mechanic at first. But when you think about it, you're they're playing to the enjoyment factor of the player. Right. Right. So if as a player you expect these things they're trying to match your expectations so that you feel powerful in your movements and your actions and you feel like you have weight behind them right so it's not just like a thrown away action like it might feel like in XCOM for instance and not to bash XCOM too much you know (laughs) that game's great it's just oh yeah it's one of those just you kind of it's the easy one to pick on yeah because it's just so it's just so real. Like, I think that's what's great about that game is the fact that they're not afraid to do that to the player. They're not afraid to tell you, like, well, this shit might not happen. <laughs> like, you might fuck up, right? And yeah, I love that. And I think I love that mainly because of how much I love tabletop and D&D, right? Like, in your head, you're like, okay, like, I have my level 20 character. I'm a god now, right? Like, I'm going to swing with my great axe and cleave this little bastard's head off kill Tiamat watch out right like you think you're going to do some amazing things and then you roll the dice and get a one and you're all your plan just goes out the window you basically like you trip over your own foot you drop your axe and you end up stabbing yourself in the eye or some shit right like there's so much craziness that can happen and it's just it's true and I like obviously that can get really frustrating for players And it's important for the dungeon master to kind of take over and spin the narrative to make it more of an enjoyable experience. But it that I think that's what I appreciate about XCOM and games like that is that they're they're true to form. It really is random. So. Yeah. Hmm. Positive way of looking at it. Gotta be positive, man, because random sucks. (laughs) Yes, it does. What about randomness like in multiplayer games? Yeah, so multiplayer games are great at it as well. And there's a lot of things like catch-up mechanics, 
right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to throw out a game out there for you, right? And I want you to think about the items that you get when you play this game, okay? When you think about Mario Kart, right? How do you feel about the way that items are distributed in, my, in Mario Kart? Oh, you get the best when you're the last one. Yeah. Exactly. Gold mushy, blue shell, like it's nice. You almost want to be in last place first and then shoot up. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if you're able to handle it. Exactly. That game has amazing catch up mechanics because of the way that they want to stylize their play through, right? If you give the person in first the best like items, then there is going to be no challenge, right? Because there's so many different style of players and that's the kind of game that you might be playing with like your little four-year-old cousin, right? And if they just keep getting beat over and over again, it's not going to be fun for them. So you need to be able to throw in that bit of randomness to make it much more interesting. So what Mario Kart does is the further back you are in the order, in race order, the better items you're going to get. So if you're in first place, you're probably only going to get like green shells and bananas if you're lucky. And then every yeah. once in a while, you'll get one of the little like speaker boxes that can blow up a blue shell. But if you're in first place, you will never get a blue shell. You will never get a star. You won't get any of those things. The percent, bill. You know, the percentage rate of those drop down to 0% for you. But the further back you are in the order of the race, those percentage incre- increase exponentially. And the percentages for simple items like bananas and green shells and things like that the basic ones, they drop down to zero. And I don't think you can actually get a speaker box if you're not in first. Oh, really? I don't think you can. I don't think I've ever gotten a speaker box when I'm not in first. Hmm. I never even like using the speaker box. I don't even know what it really does. Oh, it stops blue shells. That's what it does? Yeah, that's the... Well, if you pop it next to people, you'll kind of bump them. That's what I thought it was for. I always thought it was worthless. It pops blue shells. That's why you only get it when you're like in second or first place. Oh. So if you hold on to it and as the blue shell is spinning above you, if you pop the speaker box, it destroys that blue shell. Oh my God. I thought Nintendo was just being Nintendo by adding something dumb. Oh, wow. No, that's, that's, yeah, it's a great item. And that's why it's a really like low chance to get it. But it's only for people, I believe it might be first through third. Okay. But it's one of those where it's really, really hard to get. And if you have it and you're in first, you basically hold on to it until Blue Shell comes. Interesting. Yeah. But that's just another way of using randomness to create fun gameplays and create a narrative for these players to explore and go through, right? And just kind of balance it out across all the people playing to make it interesting and enjoyable for everybody. So even if you're not winning, you're still getting like cool stuff and eating people with piranha plants and knocking over people with bullet bills, right? Like you can still have fun and kind of like basically screw people over from the back, even though you're not winning, right? If that makes sense. Yeah. So it basically just gives you something to do. So you're not just racing for five minutes and then losing. It's just something extra on top. I like that. Yeah. We've gone over a lot of different types of randomness and whatnot. And we talked about random encounters in the beginning. But do you have 
an experience with randomness that just sticks out to you like a sore thumb, whether it be something that was amazing that happened to you or something negative that happened to you? Oh, man, I'm trying to think of the game. I mean, this goes back to like a random encounter, but I forget which one I played. I want to say it was like the Super Nintendo era. And it was like every like two or three steps you would just get in a fight. Oh, yeah. Those games are so hard. <laughs> and I'm like, why? Like, who would think that'd be such a good idea? You know, right. I want to say it was like Lufia or one of the early Dragon Quest games was like that. But it like, it sounds honestly, like Dragon Quest. it sounds like my experience with one of the early Dragon Quest games. It made me like not like RPGs for a while because I was like, dude, this sucks. Like. This is not fun anymore. Yeah. But for like a positive view, hmm, I honestly think like like in Hades where like you just kind of luck out with your boons and, you know, you pick the weapon you really like, like the spear for me. Mm-hmm. And then I end up getting like the chain lightning and a couple other upgrades. So I'm basically just hitting everybody like in my immediate area and I'm just like a god yeah like i love that's why i like roguelikes because the randomness when it works in your favor it's awesome mm-hmm. and it's just it feels good yeah. and i mean that's why like at least once a week i'll play like one roguelike just to kind of get that like good sensation going and then go back to like other stuff yeah i agree well, what about you i agree with that a hundred percent totally that like that's when you feel like a god in games, that's just the way to go, right? Um, But for me, one that I love and hate because when you get something from it, you feel amazing. But loot boxes or packs and games, you know, like it's it's such a love-hate relationship with that, right? Like I remember opening up so many packs in Hearthstone to just get shit, to get nothing for the longest time. It's so horrible. But then when you do get that one legendary card, you almost forget about all the shit that you opened up before that, right? It yeah. it almost erases it and like it almost almost getting like a bunch of bad packs in a row builds that suspense up for you, right? And so when you finally it's it's I mean for like the most horrible way of putting it, it's basically like you're edging, right? And, and <laughs> like once you open up that legendary pack that release at the end, it's like fuck yeah, dude. Like, I finally got what I was looking for, and it's the legendary you wanted. It's just too good. But, I mean, of course, that's a very frustrating way of playing. If you only got cards that way, like, Hearthstone would just completely, completely suck. (laughs) So, I mean, luckily, they do have the death system in there as well, where you can, you know, scrap a bunch of cards you don't want. So those bad packs then kind of become fodder for the card that you actually wanted. So... No matter what, you still have a chance of getting it. It just might not be the way you were expecting by just opening up a random pack. Yeah, that that brings me back to my Pokemon card days. Oh, God, just opening up random booster packs and just being hopeful for something good. I've been really wanting to get that feeling again. And I'm like, now that, you know, I want to do it, like, it's hard to find Pokemon cards anywhere because Mm -hmm. of... All those scalpers, or not scalpers, but just people reselling it. And I'm like, I just want to open a pack. Like, I don't. Just one, right? Yeah, just to, like, get that little sensation back, you know? Same. It'd be so nice to feel the foil, right? Oh, yeah. just hear that crinkle. Uh, 
It's been so long since I opened up a booster pack. It would just and be the first cards are like a, a hollow, and you're like, "Oh right? shit!" You see like the peak. You get the little corner peak, and you see some color, yes. and you're like, "Dude, fuck yeah!" The the text on the name is kind of shining, and you're like, "Dude, finally, finally!" And then you open it up, and it's just some shit card. <laughs> right. It's like a freaking slow king. Yeah, it's a fucking another holographic slow king. Or it's just another a uh, bunch of Karibos or some shit. <laughs> um, fucking Diglets. Yeah. Oh God. Oh. Or just the worst one, Dick Trio. Just. <laughs> so are those noses or is it a tooth? On the Dick Trio or the face? On both of them, oh. yes, on their face. Is do people think that's a tooth? Yes, people do think that's a little tooth. Oh. Like a mouth, a little tooth open. Nah, dude, that's. Its mouth is actually underneath the ground. It's its butt. It's like a worm. <laughs> so it's just a butt right underneath the ground? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. No. You didn't know that? No. <laughs> How does he move? He can't just slither around like a snake. That's the one thing that always bugged me about Diglett and the character is the fact that, like, yes, it's a digging Pokemon, but when it moves above ground, it just fucking shovels its way through Earth. <laughs> Yeah, like, it just moves. Like nothing will stop this thing. Like so, honestly, like why isn't Diglett the most powerful Pokemon in the world? Because it can just destroy all Earth in front of it, no matter what. That's fucking. Cool. All you gotta do is just grab that little fucker and throw him out of the ground. Yeah, and he's just done. Throw him in a pool. <laughs> Put some floaties. Oh my god! I mean, <laughs> that's a- that'd be horrible. <laughs> that's the worst way to deal with the Diglett. Is just throw him in a pool. Pokemon do die. Yeah. Well, I mean, we do have ghost type Pokemon, so that's true. Yeah. Dude, some of those Pokemon like Pokedex things are messed up. Terrifying. They're horrible. Horrible. Oh. <laughs> All right. So that's gonna do it for us this week. Uh, we hope you enjoyed our third installment in going into game mechanics. We have one more lined up for you. And it's going to be a good one. We're having some fun with it. And to kind of just give you guys a little bit of a hint, might as well give a little teaser, right? Of what the next one's going to be. A little, little peek behind the curtain. Uh, it's actually going to be on rock, paper, scissors, mechanics in games. So, yay. <laughs> yay, we get to talk about Pokemon more. Woo! <laughs> yay, Fire Emblem. <laughs> yay, all those games. Monster Hunter stories, all that. Yeah, so we'll have some fun going into that some more in the next episode. But if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to please rate and review us on whatever podcatcher you are listening on. And make sure to join our Discord or uh, check out our link tree in the description below uh, so you can see us on all of our social media sites and all that. Be sure to throw us a follow on Instagram. That's where we are the most active. And so you can stay updated on all of our stuff. And you can actually find the Instagrams of us, myself and Chris, uh, if you want to yep. follow us individually there as well. So with that, Thank you guys once again so much for listening. Thank you for all the continued support and make sure to spread the word. And yeah, welcome to the community. Thank you guys. And bye. Bye.